somewhere between waking and sleeping. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment where we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door only wide enough to slide through. This is the border of sleep where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 48 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host, Seymour Jacklin. You can check out bordersofsleep.com for more information, to leave feedback or to buy me a coffee to support the podcast. And you can find us on Facebook as well, where it's always lovely to meet listeners and to interact with them a little bit. However you want to get in touch, I will always try to respond. The cello soundtrack for this week's episode is by Hans Christian from the album Undefended Heart, which is available from magnitude.com. So, if you are ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. To Catch a Scary by Seymour Jacklin Cousin Rupert's visit was very much anticipated by Damson. In particular, she was looking forward to having a playmate for the summer who wouldn't dismiss her as a complete oddball. Cousin Rupert's branch of the family also had magic in their blood. And the last time they had seen each other, it had been fun, hours of fun, sitting on the patio with a bucket and levitating water droplets while trying to mould them into shapes. That was a few years ago. As it turned out, anticipating his visit was perhaps the best bit. It turned out that... In the intervening years, Rupert had become something of a show-off. It was probably just a phase, but he'd developed a swagger and become preoccupied with using his powers for pranks. While Damson's mother had been systematic in helping her to develop and use her abilities, Rupert seemed to have been left to his own unruly devices, much to the frustration of Damson and her mother. It only took a few hours for Damson to figure out that it had probably been contrived that Cousin Rupert would spend a few weeks with them to tame him a little, teach him a little etiquette, magical manners, if you will. And this was all a conspiracy by the grown-ups who were hoping that Damson's example might rub off on him for the better. Rupert had truly orange hair and freckles. He'd been chubbier the last time Damson had seen him, but he'd turned the corner towards manhood, become leaner, taller, and more angular, and had the beginnings of an Adam's apple showing. So, while Rupert was partial to pranking, this had simply never been a part of Damson's family life up until that point. It happened on the first day, 
when Damson and Rupert were asked to lay the table for dinner. Damson took charge of the plates while instructing Rupert on the cutlery. Everything went well until they picked up their knives and forks to make a go of the cauliflower cheese. Damson thought she was dreaming for a moment when she tried to skewer a piece of cauliflower on her fork and it just sort of melted and flowed over the cauliflower rather than piercing it. She pulled the fork away from the plate and held it in front of her face. It looked solid enough. She tested the prongs on the side of her plate. They were firm. She looked at Rupert. He already had one mouthful on the go and was preparing another. Mother was putting the lids back on the serving dishes. Damson tried for a golden strip of roasted parsnip, and it happened again. Where the fork touched the food, it just went all melty. She poked the parsnip with her knife, and the same thing happened. Damson was liable to assuming most things were her fault, somehow. Maybe she was just dreaming. She paused to watch her mother, who was, in fact, just about to have the same experience. She angled her knife and fork to cut a piece of parsnip, to no avail. She frowned. Rupert was watching her out of the corner of his eye and suddenly snorted with glee, then ducked his head closer to his plate and pretended to be very intent on his food. Mother sat back and looked over to Damson, who waved her cutlery and pulled a face. Mother seemed more amused than angry. She pulled a half-smile, leant over to Damson, and with a speedy movement touched Damson's knife and then her fork with the tips of her fingers. Then she looked at Rupert, who was grinning at his plate and merrily prodding his food. Rupert, please sit up straight, and you've forgotten your napkin, young man, she said. She deftly shook Rupert's napkin open and pushed it towards him, taking the opportunity to execute the same quick contact with his knife and fork. Now let's all enjoy our meal together, she nodded at Damson and turned her attention back to her food. Damson found her knife and fork suddenly behaving exactly as a knife and fork should. Thank goodness. On the other hand, Rupert began to play helplessly with his cutlery, puzzled at first and then increasingly miserable. It was doing the melting thing for him now and he was stuck with it, couldn't break the spell. Damson tried keeping a straight face and took her cue from Mother, carrying on as if nothing had happened and oblivious to Rupert's escalating desperation as he tried to get something into his mouth with the melting equipment. He was routed, but too stubborn to admit it and ask for help, so by the time Damson had emptied her plate, Rupert was just staring at his miserably. That was delicious, thank you, she said. My pleasure, and thank you both for laying the table, her mother replied. Now that you're done, perhaps you could lend your knife and fork to your cousin. He's not had much luck with his. 
Damson held them out silently to Rupert, and he took them. Thank you, he whispered. While he finished his first course, Damson and her mother enjoyed lemon syllabub with plenty of lip-smacking appreciation. Nothing more was said of the incident, and at the end of the meal, Mother offered to teach Rupert how to charm the dishes to wash themselves, and they all got on cheerfully. But it was the first and the last time their meals, at least, were disrupted by Rupert's impish spells. In the days that followed, Damson and Rupert iterated towards a gentle pattern of doing things together that meant they didn't drive each other crazy but they still had fun. One morning, Rupert was up early, so Damson missed him at breakfast and went looking for him afterwards. He was down in the orchard, beyond the bottom of the garden. He was doing something under one of the trees. The brown shells of last year's apples rolled and squished underfoot as she wove towards him. Rupert was hunching over something in the grass, then standing back to look at it, then going back to it. When she came up to him, she saw that he had a couple of the branches of the apple tree bent downwards and bound to pegs in the ground with a wrap of rope that she recognised as coming from an old swing. Rupert was putting his weight on another branch and testing whether he could bend it down to the ground as well. Damson felt a flush of anger tingling in her face. Hey, why are you torturing that tree? She asked evenly, although her voice caught with emotion at the end. Do you think it's going to blow away? I'm not torturing it, said Rupert. He grinned at her. His face was red too from the effort of pulling at the branches. I'm just grounding a few of the branches. Think of it as creating a short circuit, he explained. You're hurting it, and I don't see why, said Damson, walking directly towards the staked down branch, intending to release it. There was a painful vibration reaching her from the tree. Leave it, said Rupert. It's fine. It won't be for long. It makes a turbulence in the side world, and hopefully... A wandering skerry will come over to see what the dissonance is, and then I'll spring the trap and catch it when it comes through. Basically, it's a trap for a skerry. Rupert was referring to the side world, of course. The reflected dimension, one step forward and a slide to the left of the one that we live in. Similar to look at, but rather different in its physics and inhabitants. If this is another of your games, I don't like it, said Damson, crouching by the stakes and pulling uselessly at the rope. Her fingers slipped and trembled. Just wait, please, said Rupert, looming over her. Damson looked up. It will be fine, you will see. Damson frowned. This didn't feel quite right to her. You're torturing a tree so that you can deceive and trap an innocent sideworld creature. Well, you don't have to put it like that, Rupert protested. The trees like it, or at least it does them good. You'll see this one does a lot better this summer than all the others, 
and he laughed. The scaries always get the last laugh when they've been tricked. The last time I did this, every single door I needed to walk through was flipped around, so the handle was on the other side, and it opened the wrong way for about two weeks. He chuckled again. I got so many bruises, and almost broke my nose a few times. Plus, I couldn't use a mirror for two weeks because my reflection was flipped around. You try combing your hair when the left is right and forwards is backwards. He shook his head. Scaries are a species of the side world, generally harmless creatures, who need nothing to do with humans and ought to be left alone. At least that's what Danzen believed. How is this going to catch a scary and why? she asked. Rupert explained. Like I said, this apple tree has a body in the side world, with the same number of roots and branches. Now, if I make a couple of branches into roots here, it will set up a dissonance between the two bodies, and that's the kind of thing a scary can't help noticing and coming over to investigate. Damson stared at him, narrowing her eyes. If we get one, there's just a few questions I want to ask it, then I'll let it go. Scaries know a lot of things. Damson didn't much like that Rupert was now talking about we, as if she were an accomplice in the scheme. Besides, it seemed so unnecessary. Why don't you just ask my mother if you want to know something, she said. Shh, said Rupert holding up a finger and stepping back onto his haunches. He motioned for Damson to do the same. As they watched, the arch formed by one of the re-rooted branches began to flicker with threads of purple light. Damson felt a humming in her throat, as if her vocal cords were resonating unbidden with some vibration from the tree. Rupert threw her a look of jubilation. Then a blue shape appeared and began to resolve under the arch. It was hovering in mid-air. In shape it was like a garden slug, but much bigger, the size of a cat and pointy at both ends. Its skin was deep blue and laced with darker veins but it was also wrapped in a bluish electric light that pulsed gently and flowed around it like plasma. It floated right through the arch by a foot or so and stopped. The pointed extremities of its body probed the air like stubby tentacles and Damson thought it seemed to hesitate. It was completely silent, but she still felt an intensification of the vibration in her throat. Suddenly, Rupert appeared in her field of vision, running low with his knees bent towards the tied-down end of the branch. He fumblingly loosened the rope so that the branch freed itself enough to lose contact with the ground. In the same instant, she heard a yelp. It came from her own throat. The skerry flipped upwards and she saw its underbelly edged with a sort of skirt of fluorescent green fibres that reminded her of the aurora borealis. The skerry snagged itself on the branch and deflated suddenly, draped over it like one of Salvador Dali's melting clocks. 
she tried to yell at Rupert, but Damson found herself gasping for air instead and making a whining noise. Rupert looked flushed, but he didn't seem to be having the same trouble. He was standing up straight with his hands on his hips. Got it, he announced. Damson wanted to go and push him away from the thing and close the archway again, but everything seemed to be going into treacle slow motion and she couldn't move. She must have looked terrified, because Rupert called to her to move further away. You're too sympathetic, he said. Move back out of range. Damson obeyed, edging backwards, forcing her legs to move and it got easier with distance until she felt her breath coming steadily again. Sympathetic? Was that it? She had been experiencing the scary's feelings, and her throat was trying to speak for it. She wanted to go and fetch her mother, but she also wanted to stay to make sure nothing bad happened to her cousin or his captive. The scary was still pulsing with light a little faster. Rupert had picked up a long twig and was reaching it towards the limp form on the branch. What are you doing now? she asked. I'm just making contact so I can talk to it, came the reply. It won't take a minute. Is there anything you want to ask it about while we have it? Again, he'd used the word, we. No, just let it go, Rupert, she said. It didn't take much more than a minute in real time, a long, strained minute. She felt giddy and distant, as if merely observing the tableau of them in the orchard, making a triangle, with her on the farthest point, and Rupert with the scary on the corners of the short side. Rupert stood perfectly still, and she couldn't tell from a distance if he was actually touching the scary with the twig or just using it as an antenna. He seemed to be listening. He didn't make a sound or move until he dropped the twig. Then he put his foot on the end of the branch, trod it back down into contact with the ground. As if loosened by the movement of the branch, the scary slid down and hung for a moment in the archway like a blue chrysalis, swelling back into form. Then it was gone. Rupert waved and smiled at Damson and freed the branch from the rope. He was freeing the other one when she got to him. He was humming to himself. Damson felt hot and prickly with anger, choked with sadness, and slightly giggly with relief all at once. Did you get what you wanted? She asked him. Yep. Fever few and meadow sweet for a headache, peppermint and fennel for indigestion, willow herb for an upset stomach. Those are the pink ones in the ditch, he added unnecessarily. In fact, the whole lot was downright unnecessary. I could have told you that, said Damson. You're unbelievable. Everyone knows that. That's just common hedge law. I can't believe you, you absolutely ridiculous boy. Rupert pouted and went into himself for a few moments. Then he grinned again. I know, he said, but isn't it way more fun to ask a scary? Damson bit her lip and refused to look at him. She had two more weeks of this. 
Now that might have been the end of the matter, with no further mention of it. However, at lunchtime, Rupert and Damson were discussing their ideal pets. Damson was in favour of small pets that were unusual, but which wouldn't attract too much attention. Rupert wanted to put forward a differing opinion. Firstly, a pet is a pet. If you're going to have one, make it coat hanger and cactus. What's that? said Damson. Rupert grimaced as if he'd got an unpleasant taste in his mouth. Sorry, that came out onions. I meant to high jump that lemonade. Damson giggled. I think you're getting your words muddled. Rupert bowed his head and looked through the window towards the orchard. The scary, he said, and then looked back at Damson with narrowed eyes and a tight-lipped smile, shaking his head slowly. I lighthouse this chaffinch, he said helplessly. The scary's messed up your words, she chuckled. Rupert nodded. Damson gave herself up to quivers of laughter. Two more weeks of this was going to be enormous fun, or however long it took to wear off. It serves you right, she said. Dragonflies, said Rupert.